Hey, Osiris listeners. We want to tell you about our friends at Sunset Lake CBD who support this show. Sunset Lake CBD is a Vermont hemp farm crafting affordable CBD products designed to help with sleep and stress without breaking the bank. If you haven't tried CBD before, take it from me, it's a game changer. I use Sunset Lake's tincture every night before I go to bed, helping me get solid, restful sleep. And their gummies are great for daytime. Check out their new Good Vibes gummies, which have just a bit of hemp-derived THC to help you relax and unwind. Sunset Lake CBD crafts products with hemp grown on their family farm and ships them directly to customers. They have tinctures, salves, edibles, coffee, smokables, and even pet products. By the way, their CBD chocolate fudge is awesome. Check them out today at sunsetlakecbd.com and use coupon code TIME for 20% off all products. Sunset Lake CBD, farmer-owned, Vermont-grown. Hey, this is O'Teal. If you're liking what you're hearing, head on over to patreon.com forward slash comes a time pod and get your bus pass for an extra episode every week. Comes a time. Welcome back. I'm Mike. I'm O'Teal. Boy, did we get lucky for this last podcast, didn't we? Tasty episode, O'Teal. Wink, <laughs> wink. Ben and Jerry. <laughs> Oh man, I would I'd loved like I know a little bit about them already and the company and the, the way they grew, but when I started checking up on them recently to do my homework for the podcast, I was just like, God, I love these guys even more. And I had told Mike before, like uh I had just had a really rough week and a week and a half just like being down about things. And then when I've read what they were doing now. Um, I just like, that's so cool, man. My, I got my two uplifts and my theme for the podcast, which is grassroots and accountability, mm. you know, that yeah. they're still, they haven't changed a bit, you know, they're super cool guys, man. Like right off the bat, like when we were all kind of getting ready, doing sound check and whatever, they're just cracking jokes, light, having a great, and it's just, they just reek with Vermont and I love it so much, you know? <laughs> But Such no, it's really, really, really cool. I learned a lot about, you know, things about their company. I had no idea um, that Ben and Jerry's wasn't necessarily their company anymore. I, I hope I'm yeah. not giving away a big secret here to listeners, but I, I had no, I had no idea. Well, it actually happened a long time ago. Yeah, but, I didn't um, know that. Yeah, it's, uh, it's great that the company still has uh, retained their values. Yeah. And uh and they said they were even a little surprised. <laughs> they were like, cool. So I if know. you build it in at the beginning, it can survive. And that was one of the biggest uh uplifting things for me about it is that it does show you that if you if you bake it into the cake, like even after the company technically wasn't theirs anymore and, and out of their control for all intents and purposes they were still retaining those values and still operating the same way still making uh bold stances in dangerous directions you know that other people would say and uh and they just get rewarded for it so it just shows you know there's another way to do capitalism that's just fine (laughs) capitalism with a conscience yeah yeah accountability um, grassroots and accountability right (laughs) 
<laughs> right, exactly. And you know, growing up in the scene and being a, a fan of the music and the culture and the you know, you gravitate towards certain things. Anytime you walk any Ben and Jerry's, no matter where you were, or you saw a shirt in the lot or something, it just always seemed like they were part of the vernacular. You know what I mean? And yeah. uh then they come on stage with fish at Clifford Ball and sing a verse of brother and, and everyone's like, Ben and Jerry, like what the hell? You know, and it's just so neat to kinda have you know, it's just they they are uh they're quality people and they're, and they're, they, I'm, we're honored to have them on. And, uh, as always, we, we, we thank you guys for listening and being a part of this ride with us. If you're enjoying these episodes and you want more, O'Teal and I record a bonus episode each week that we release on Patreon. So if you go to patreon.com slash comes a time pod, you can find that. And we're here on the Osiris network to, uh, many, fantastic podcasts and you could check all of them out at osirispod.com enjoy ben and jerry and uh go enjoy some ben and jerry's mm-hmm. how about that eat some ice cream while you listen but don't hit your front teeth because it uh it hurts <laughs> peace The podcast has been a lifesaver, I'd say. We've had the opportunity, well, first off, just being able to even get a hold of guys like yourselves, who yeah. on a normal day, <laughs> I don't think we'd be able to grab you, you know? Um, we've been able to talk with um, some of the most unbelievable people um, that have been icons and idols of you know, definitely myself, uh, but we've talked to Bob Weir, we've talked to, you know, Melvin Seals, some of the most unbelievable people in music, and then uh, education, comedy, um, business. Uh, we talked to a Harvard professor the other day, and all of those conversations tend to just organically go to mental health and to taking care of ourselves and, and each other. And common and, sense. And common sense has been the throughput of the entire uh again, just organically, it kind of happened. And it's really been wonderful because it doesn't matter what uh, place you have in this quick life we have. We all tend to find each other. The cream, no pun intended, rises to the top. And we we end up finding great folks like yourselves to, to, to chat with. So it's been really a blessing. I mean, it feels like therapy. Othiel and I talk after each episode about how it's like, we feel like we owe you guys money <laughs> for being our therapy. <laughs> really been wonderful though. Yeah, I was I was so excited to have you guys on because I know your story as far as the company. And um you know, one of my huge things and one of our huge things is common sense. And I feel like uh the thing missing today so much, and I guess it's perpetual, that uh is the uh, like our political situation that's going on is just completely taken over by corporations and with bad faith corporations, you know? So you guys are like a great example of how it can be done to benefit everybody. Like capitalism doesn't have to suck, you know, <laughs> like it can be, it can help everybody. And, and if we look at it more long-term and stuff like that, you know, and, and I've, been following what you guys have been doing lately 
And I, I told Mike before this, I had such a crappy day yesterday, but I was like, today I'm starting to feel better because my theme for today is going to be grassroots, you know, and um, just activism. You know what I mean? Like yeah, yeah. bring it all together. So I was so excited to have like a bazillion questions for you guys, you know, <laughs> for sure. But first of all, like, how are you doing in, in the pandemic? How is all that? treating you challenges silver linings whatever uh for me <laughs> i'm working harder than i was before the pandemic mm -hmm. um, you know i ended up uh i'm in the process of starting a not-for-profit pot company in Colorado. And uh, I kind of forgot how much effort went into starting a new business. And <laughs> I'm I now I now I remember really well. And I've asked Jerry to make sure that I never do anything new again. <laughs> and uh, You know, and then, you know, the George Floyd thing happened and and Jerry and I got very involved with uh, trying to actually do something about it. Uh, and we started this campaign to end qualified immunity. Uh, you know, that's the reason why cops get off scot-free when they do these horrible things. Um, so, you know, we've been putting together, putting a lot of time into putting together a, a very broad coalition of people. And uh, so, you know, it's kind of been Zoom call after Zoom call. You know, in the old days, you used to meet in person. And, yeah. you know, yeah, you actually got to maybe travel somewhere to meet with someone. And, you know, that was that was kind of downtime. But now it's like back to back in your face in the screen. And uh, so uh, that so the pandemic and, and the other part of the pandemic is that uh, I've gotten to know my backyard a lot better. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, there's a bunch of woods in the backyard and uh, my friends and I uh, built a little free form gazebo. And, uh, you know, I've had a couple of campouts there. Uh, well, yeah, campfires, you know, we find some wood and light it up and cook, cook uh, sausages or whatever. <laughs> and, uh, and then, you know, I guess my wife was feeling a real lack of, uh, you know, socialization. I have a, I have an annual uh, latka party. I have one big party every year and, you know, we, we didn't do it this year. And, and I have another friend who likes to cook food for large groups of people. And he and I have been trying to learn how to smoke meat. And uh, we've done it a few times and we decided to have a smoke, a, a barbecue latka drive through <laughs> for our friend. And, I love Vermont um, so much. <laughs> <laughs> so that was kind of fun. So, you know, that's what's been going on. And Jerry and I have lately been trying to get together for an hour each day and walk, but 
you know, Jerry tried exercising too much and hurt his back a little. So he's on uh, R and R. So you know, uh, that's me. How about you, Jer? I am mostly feeling extremely fortunate. Uh, you know, I, things have been, I think, really tough for a lot of people. Uh, I mean, in a way, I, I think the country's divided between people who are doing okay and then people who are really impacted. And I haven't been impacted that much. I've been thinking more about, I mean, it's just unbelievable to me, like all these people that have lost jobs, restaurants that have closed, businesses that have closed, small nonprofits. I don't understand how people are doing it. Uh, but, you know, I'm, uh, I've spent a lot of time with my wife and it's nice we get along together. That's, that's like a huge blessing. Uh, I'm not seeing a lot of people. I see Ben a few times a week in person. We go for walks. I have another friend that I see in person a couple of times a week to go for a walk. Uh, and my wife, and that's, that's kind of it. Uh, you know, Ben, ben mentioned uh, this campaign to end qualified immunity, which uh, has really been uh, energizing and also tiring uh but it, it feels so good to as ben said to try to do something about an issue as opposed to complaining uh, i mean obviously there were incredible and amazing protests but uh, i think it's time to see if we can actually make some policy changes as well for sure i get uh I get kind of tired of all the symbolic gestures. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like, um, you know, when uh, the they said that the FBI was going to vet the National Guard troops to try to weed out the racists and, I guess, hardcore right people. And I was like, who's going to vet the FBI? <laughs> like, you know what I mean? It's like... Um, and I feel like that's one of those things. It's like, uh, instead of like, you know, putting Harriet Tubman on the $20 bill, how about give the people the $2,000, you know, like I'd take probably a lot of those executive orders, not all of them, but I would, I would take some of them and swap them all for just, you know, ending the healthcare scam or, or giving people free healthcare during the pandemic or giving them $2,000 during the pandemic or actually getting racist cops out of the police, like do it, get them out of the unions. Like there's got to be the same percentage of racist people in the country, in the police and in the unions. Right. So, but the symbolic stuff that keeps happening, I just, it's hard for me to not roll my eyes, you know, I hate to be so cynical, but I was, <laughs> I saw from this one thing I follow, I guess it's called Roots Action Network, I think it is. I just started following them and I saw a no honeymoon for Biden thing come up and saw you on their bed. I was like, all right, <laughs> like, you know, policy, 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 like, you know, because I end up, my frustration, I feel so helpless. And I know you guys have this experience in the grassroots 
And I hate just talking about it and being that angry guy that's like, yeah, everybody sucks and blah, blah, blah. But now I feel like with the podcast, maybe we can enlighten some people about stuff that that they don't know because right, most people aren't thinking about it, you know? And most people aren't thinking, wow, uh, what about the racists and the FBI? Like, who's going to vet them or, you know... I just, I wonder, do you get as, obviously you got to be kind of as frustrated as I am if you're involved in a a thing called no honeymoon for Biden. (laughs) 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 Could you tell people what that kind of, what that is a little bit? Well, I think, I think when, uh, when Biden was running, uh, and then when when he got the nomination and and was running for president, there were a lot of groups that ended up supporting him with the idea that he was going to be doing progressive things. He was not going to be simply a centrist mainstream Democrat. He said some of the right things. And once he got elected, it's not okay to just go back on what you said to try to get some votes. Uh, you can't just say, hey, we're going to let the guy slide because he's so much better than Trump. I mean, Ben's dog is better than Trump. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they, they had a uh, Bernie on one of those morning shows after his uh, mitten, <laughs> mitten uh, shot went viral. And they said, would you like to discuss your, uh, you know, your getup? And he's like, no, what I'd like to discuss is that, you know, Americans deserve $2,000 and we need to, you know, you get into get universal health care going right away. And it was just so great to be, man, Bernie's like the energizer bunny, you know, <laughs> like he just keeps going and going no matter what. And, and, you know, yeah, take a minute and giggle about his mittens. And then he ends up, uh, they're, they're selling t-shirts and sweatshirts and all of the money goes to Vermont charity. Yeah. You know, I, th- I think one thing that was so great about the whole mitten meme was it, it's so Bernie. I, I mean, if you know Bernie, he, he's, he's not a lot of fluff. Uh, and both Ben and I campaigned for Bernie. And as we always told people, he's been saying the same thing for 35 years. And he is not for sale. What you see is what you get. And uh, there's there's nobody quite like Bernie. There, there was a picture on I, on Instagram. I'm not sure what the feed was. Maybe it was Bernie's. It was maybe right from his. Or I forget where it was, but it's it said, here's a great picture of Bernie. An even more important picture of Bernie sitting down. And it was him uh, hand in hand with a, a black girl outside of a school as, as like a, a peaceful demonstration. And uh, it really, he was so young, you couldn't even recognize him really in the picture. But you're right, like it's just Bernie is Bernie all the way through. There's an unbelievable uh, program on public television about that where, I forget who the gentleman's name is, but he goes through their lineage, like goes back through lineage. It's almost like a TV show version of Ancestry.com or 23andMe, where he goes back and he had Bernie on. He had Bernie and Larry David in the same episode, and it turned out that they're related. (laughs) their relatives go way way back they're like distant cousins and larry played bernie of course you know on snl and all of that but (laughs) so cool to see him take a look back at the struggles of 
you know, all the way back to, you know, way past Brooklyn, you know, mm-hmm. do you guys keep regular touch with him? Are you, are you uh, close with Bernie? No, not really. You know, Bernie's, Bernie's pretty busy. <laughs> it's, uh, and so are you guys. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> the Colin no. Kaepernick uh, flavor just recently came out, uh, changed the world, right? Yes. I, th- I think it's not actually out yet. It's been announced, but it, it's probably not on the ice cream shelves yet. So don't don't really knock yourself out just yet trying <laughs> to find some because <laughs> you'll be able to find a lot of other flavors. Oh, you know, yes. Believe so me. It's so interesting, uh, you know, the idea of flavors and ice cream and, uh, say, Colin Kaepernick or issues and serious issues uh because i think that's one thing ben and jerry's has been able to do very well uh is combine people's fascination with ice cream and ice cream flavors and tie it in uh with serious issues and and trying to raise up those issues uh and i think the company's really used its voice in in a good way to try to communicate about that. And, you know, Ben and I still work at the company. We're not involved in operations. And so we don't have anything to do with flavors like that. But Ben is the person who really originated all that. Ben, at Ben and Jerry's, Ben is the guy. I mean, not everybody knows that. And, uh, but, but trust me on this one, Ben's the guy. Oh. <laughs> it's very much a partnership. There would be no Ben without a Jerry. Everybody's got to do what they're good at, you know? <laughs> well, it's like Sammy Hagar said about Bob Weir, you know, like there's a number one and number two, but a number two with no ego is, you know, the perfect marriage. So, I mean, it, it obviously, ha- I'm interested to know how a campaign like that gets from a thought to a happening. Like, does that come from... Does does Ben and Jerry's approach Colin Kaepernick? Does Colin Kaepernick approach Ben and Jerry's? Like, how does that work? You know, I think in this case, uh, people at the at Ben and Jerry's have been thinking about it for a couple of years, and uh, they were in touch with Colin Kaepernick and his folks, and over time, they figured out how to do it. You know, that that's another interesting thing about flavors at at Ben and Jerry's. You wouldn't think this, but it takes about two years to develop a flavor. I mean, honestly, what is so complicated about that? But it really does. And uh, I mean, the, th- the thing about Colin Kaepernick, and I, and I guess many things the company does is, uh, you know, Colin Kaepernick is an American hero. Right. I mean, the courage that he showed doing what he did was amazing. Uh, And I think Ben and Jerry's is able to honor that and uh, provide a tribute for that. Uh, And it's nice to use that vehicle of ice cream to talk about not only Colin Kaepernick, he's donating all the proceeds to the camp he started, the Know Your Rights camp. Uh, and so, you know, he's he's obviously doing it for the right reasons. Um, and it's nice to have a flavor. 
<laughs> for sure. Yeah. We've been... You know, with as much activism as you guys do, I was wondering yesterday, does the whole uh, internet kind of censorship thing concern you the way it does me? Like, I feel like uh, if you're going to take down stuff like parlor and ban people from this and that, like, uh, shouldn't you do the same thing with Twitter and Facebook? I mean, they made so much money off of sowing this division, but then we turn to them to just like censor people. And I wonder, is that going to come back on us for just speaking out, you know, what we believe in from the other side? You know, for business, there's truth in advertising laws. Businesses cannot say things that are false. I think we should have truth in advertising laws for politicians. I don't think it should be legal for an elected official to spread lies. I, I, I think, you know, you, you brought up as a little kid, uh, you know, you look up to the president. Uh, the president couldn't possibly lie. I mean, you know, the president sets an example. The president uh, models what it is to be, uh, you know, a person. And, uh, you know, having that person or having any elected official be able to lie uh I think is a breach of public trust. And uh, why, why should we countenance people who we elect, who serve us, lying to us? Why don't we just <laughs> prosecute them? I mean, it would stop them from lying to us. Uh, wouldn't that be an amazing thing? We'd also be out of politicians. <laughs> Except for like, like a handful, right? Yeah, I hope your dog still wants to run for president. <laughs> I mean, I feel it's depressing for me because my son, he, uh, which was going to change, he he's got a full on YouTube addiction, and so the um, you know, ads just come down to Pike, and you know, it's Trump is a liar, blah blah blah. So he comes to me, he goes, "Is Donald Trump a liar?" I go, "Yeah." And then the opposing ads, you know, Biden's a liar. He goes, "Is Biden a liar, Daddy?" Because you're voting for him. I'm like, "Yes, I'm voting for it, but he is a liar. He's not <laughs> as bad of a liar <laughs> as Trump." And, and it just broke my heart, you know. Like I know there was a pause in there, and I was just like, "I gotta tell him the truth." And, and so I just wonder, like, who would be spared if we said, like, Obama would have some stuff to answer for? If we applied that, everybody in the world, no one's perfect. It would be great. They would stop doing it. If it was illegal, (laughs) they'd stop lying. Yeah. I wonder if it's a hard line to draw with, uh, because then just, you know, there are alternative facts. That is a lie. A fact is a fact. <laughs> Did you bomb them or not? Did you give them the money? Did you take the money or not? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It, 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 it's partly about lying or not telling the truth, but fundamentally it's, is there any trust between people and institutions? And if people in those institutions are not telling the truth, there is no trust. 
and why should you bother listening to anything they tell you or why should you comply with anything you're asked to do if you're not being told the truth uh, yeah i mean the truth is fundamental to having some trust i feel like uh it's so hard you know it speaks to the whole thing about you know uh twitter deplatforming and facebook deplatforming people i'm like okay so they said the government is evil and corrupt and bought off you can't trust the media blah 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 i feel like i agree with that from my side of the aisle so is that going to come back on me when i say that because i think it's true you know what i mean and um what do we what do we do when the media is so complicit in that as well you know i i think the issue with the social media platforms is that they are not just a neutral place for people to put up messages they have a system they have algorithms that promote messages that create passion messages about hate and they need you know just like you know the same as print media i mean i i try to take out an ad in print media it gets fact checked up and down uh yeah they they so if they're going to promote something i think they need to they need to be held to a much higher standard if it's just going to be a neutral uh bulletin board yeah anybody can put anything up on the bulletin board but they are participating in uh <laughs> you know promoting conspiracy theories in in promoting lies and uh yeah i, I think I, yeah I, i'm anti-lie <laughs> so, um yeah i think they have a responsibility i mean print media does have a responsibility and we need to treat them the same way i mean you know you you're you know, there's a, you know, I, I, I get, I've gotten called several times by a New Yorker magazine. You know, there's some article where it says something about me and it's the fact checker calling and she wants to make sure that what they're saying is, is true. That's reasonable. I think. Now, do you think that if uh, there was an, a social media pay per subscription version um, where the user had to pay $5, $10 a month, let's say, and uh, you were able to get another version of Instagram or another version of Facebook that was ad-free or whatever. You know, it seems like free platforms, you know, Facebook, they go, well, we got to make our money somehow, right? So if we had a $10 a month uh, Facebook or how, whatever it may be, would that solve part of the problem? Like, you know, maybe print media, you know, you pay for the newspaper, you pay for, I'm just, I'm just, you know, throwing mm -hmm. another option out there. Is well, it's it like they said on is? social dilemma, if it's free, then you're the product. <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah. what I mean. That's what I'm saying. So it's like, if there was another option, 
I mean, that might be the thing. Everybody says, no, I want it free. I want it free. Well, you have no control over the quality of it then. I'm you know, not- it's, it's an interesting discussion for me because uh, I'm not on Facebook and I'm not on Twitter and I'm not on Instagram and I'm not on TikTok. I'm just out of it. So, uh, you're the, you're the no, happiest person in the group. <laughs> I, I wouldn't hold myself up as an example of anything, but uh, it's hard for me to have an opinion about that because I just don't participate in it. You know, it's it's interesting. I have a son, my wife and I have a son who's 31. And back when he was living with us at home and he was on Facebook and I told him I was not on Facebook and, and should I sign up? And he pretty much said, you're not missing anything. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's That's really what's weird, causing huh? the civil war. <laughs> I guess I just want these guys to uh, experience some. It's about accountability. You know, like if you fan the flames that much, I'm not going to be so rah, rah. Oh, you're such a good guy for banning these people. It's like, wait a minute. There's zero accountability. You know, I mean, I don't know how many, whether it was millions or billions that they've made selling their ads alongside uh, selling the like guns and ammo, you know, putting the guns and ammo ads along with all this crazy right wing stuff. I mean, they were making tons of money doing that. And now there's zero accountability. And on top of that, I'm supposed to think they're heroes. I'm like, this is nuts, you know? And to me, it seems like it's going down the same road. Like Ben, I know you're in this thing with Julian Assange, which I'm super passionate about Assange and Snowden and all these whistleblowers, you know, Obama said he was going to protect all these whistleblowers and he ran on that and then end up prosecuting more of them than all other presidents combined since 1776, you know? And I'm like, wow, if that, if that happened, you know, if we keep going down this slope, I wonder if like, what hope do we have for grassroots action? It's kind of terrifying. Yeah, I agree with you. I, I, you know, I mean, Assange. What, 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 are, what was his crime? His crime was he published the truth, and uh, you know they and the government wants to kill the messenger. Uh, yeah, there, there's something really wrong. Uh, you know, as far as I'm concerned. Assange is a hero. Uh, Assange uh, told me what my government was doing in my name and with my money. Uh, It happened to have been war crimes. Uh, It's uh, spying on its own citizens. Uh, why, Why should the government be able to hide that fact? Why should the government not be telling me what they're doing in my name and with my money? So I, I, I just couldn't stand by and, and let them essentially lock them up and throw away the key, which is what they're trying to do. Uh, when all he was doing was <laughs> telling the truth and these people that are lying, we don't do anything to them. Yeah. 
I mean, uh, Assange wasn't even a whistleblower. He wasn't the guy who got the information. He was just the guy who published the information. I mean, there is freedom of the press. And the reason why Obama did not prosecute Assange is because of what he called the New York Times problem. If he was going yeah. to prosecute Assange, he'd have to prosecute the New York Times because the media, newspapers, TV, they all work on leaks. They work on, uh, you know, information that they got from government sources. Someone who didn't want to be in, uh, you know, who wanted to remain anonymous for fear of reprisal, all that kind of crap. I mean, that's what that that's what the media's bread and butter is. And they're, you know, the government is saying, you know, I mean, the, the government is a bunch of old fogies, old white fogies. And, you know, there's this newfangled Internet out there. And, oh, we're scared of it, man. Uh, let's, uh, you know, let's let's arrest him. Let's uh, let's charge him with treason. But if he was a print publication, they wouldn't do a damn thing. Thanks for listening. We'll be right back with more on Comes a Time. Hey there, Osiris listeners. I wanted to tell you about our friends over at Smart Wool. For more than 25 years, Smart Wool has been making merino wool socks and apparel designed to keep you comfortable. Because they want to help you play, laugh, and explore in the outdoors with every thread they knit and every step you take. Because they believe that comfort sharpens focus and lets you perform beyond your limits. They are here to help you feel good. Now, it's up to you how far you will go. Take 15% off of your first order at smartwool.com. Smartwool. Go far, feel good. I think what you guys are doing, you know, I mentioned before about, uh, the loss of trust when institutions don't tell the truth. And I think for people like you to be able to have a podcast and people can listen for themselves and make their own decisions about, you know, what they're hearing or what they're saying. I think that that's the rise of what's happening on the internet. And uh, it's kind of a funny thing too. You now have people on the internet who are so-called influencers. I mean, that's, that's a occupation that never existed. Oh, God, <laughs> I mean, isn't that an amazing phenomenon, people who are influencers? It's, it's unreal. And, I'm and, considered one to a low level, which is well, really weird. I've had people contact me. And I'm like, no. There's a couple of, there's a couple of Instagram uh, accounts that are uh, influencers in the wild. And it's basically a picture a video of someone making a video and it just shows how absurd it is that like the rest of the world's going on and someone's, you know, like twerking at a stop sign and you know, whatever. And it just, it's just so hilarious to see, you know, like a wave crashes and everything goes haywire and it just does show hey, like how twerk. There we go. This is the ugliest ugliest dance party ever. No, but I I think part of it is that uh, for whatever reason, there are people who do tell the truth, who are credible, and and they become influential. It's amazing, right? If you tell the truth and people start believing you, uh, that makes you influential. 
I've been surprised by uh, I, I abandoned um, corporate media a long time ago. I mean, the news, you know, CNN, MSNBC, Fox, all that stuff. Um, I just can't trust it because they have this profit motive and it's really kind of the same thing where they're making a lot of money off of fanning the flames, you know? And uh, I've been surprised, like my, the news that I get is usually from alternative news sources, usually leaning democratic socialists, uh, which I don't consider myself a socialist, but I guess I, that's where I end up with politically most of the time. I've been kind of surprised how popular they've gotten, you know, and uh, they're definitely speaking the truth. Which uh, which ones are you talking about? Because you know I'm I'm looking for some news sources. You know during the uh, the insurrection, I watched uh, CNN because I don't have uh, a TV and it was free online. Yeah. And uh, and what kind of drove me crazy about CNN was that it was opinion too. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it, it used to be that there was the fairness doctrine for electronic media, that if you were going to editorialize, if you were going to say something on one side of the issue, you had to have someone come on and give them equal time to give the other side of the issue. I mean, there was actually a dividing line between editorial and news. And now there isn't. There isn't. For CNN, for MSNBC, for Fox, for any of them, it's it's all opinion and infotainment. I mean, well, that was agreed upon bipartisan. That was a bipartisan agreement with the deregulation of the FTC and all that, you know, like uh, the Telecommunications Act, you know, so we had like 50 or 60 companies and then it all came down to six. You know, so they're all, but well, I've, I've watched, there's a couple, like, uh, there's one called The Hill Rising with Crystal Ball and Sagar Jetty that are, like, uh, left and right. He's kind of a libertarian. She's definitely more democratic socialist. I've watched that on YouTube. I watched Katie Halper and Matt Taibbi. They have a podcast called Useful Idiots. <laughs> Boy, Matt Taibbi is great. I just yeah. love that guy. Me uh, too. May, maybe I got to start listening to some podcasts. You know, uh, I I just haven't gotten into that groove. Well, uh, some of them are like actual news shows. Like yeah. um, The Hill Rising is, is definitely like a, the format is like a news show. You know, so you, you see that there. Kyle Kalinske, are you familiar with him? He's another one that's on YouTube that has kind of a new show. And when you when you start watching these guys, the algorithm will send you other cool ones in your uh-huh. feed. You know, that's the other thing. I try to use the algorithm for good. Some It sends me some cool stuff because I'm looking for cool stuff, you know. So sometimes I, I, I find other things. I thought uh, the BBC is kind of uh, yep. impartial. Reuters. And, right. Reuters. And, uh, it, you know, it's kind of interesting that I'm having those, like when I was a kid, um, yeah. things like, Otilia, you think about your son, right? And he never 
will remember a time when the news was on for a half hour before Jeopardy and Wheel of Fortune, and that was it. And everything you know, was about yesterday. Everything was about yesterday. <laughs> and, and, and that's the thing that's, that's very uh, – I, I, I did the same – with you know Ben when when the insurrection happened and I told I told Otiel that I'm like boy I feel I'm exhausted from watching CNN because it's just as much as it's it's awful it's almost like they're like the ratings are going there's someone there going like the ratings are going through the roof you know and it's just I I can't I I have to just forget that those channels exist well I gave I give my bottom twenty seven. I even did CNN when the Capitol was actually being breached. I did it on YouTube. I don't have uh, regular television, but um, that was only because I I wanted to see what was happening up to the second. Like I was waiting to see if somebody actually died, if somebody actually got shot and that coverage, like I could turn the sound down really. I, but I wanted to see, so I cut, I gave myself even some slack on that just because you know, it was kind of an unprecedented situation. Yeah, you know, that hadn't occurred to me. Turn the sound down. Well, that's how I listened to corporate media for many years. I was like, you know, and definitely elections and like debates and stuff. I literally would n- watch a debate with the sound down because yeah. you could tell who was full of shit. Yeah, right. Turn down the voice. sound and turn on some of your music. That would be a good debate. <laughs> just play the Benny Hill theme song over and over. We you could just you know, the other thing that kind of drives me crazy. What is this a show about talking about what drives you crazy? <laughs> sure. Why the hell not? <laughs> What's the name of the show? Cat. What? Cat. Comes Com- the time. Comes the time to talk about what drives you Gary crazy. Gary and I should do one called Drives Me Crazy. There you go. So, uh, that. All the airports had Fox News on their TVs. It, I really? I couldn't believe it. I mean, it's 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 biased. <laughs> well, you know, I've seen where I usually would fly out of Atlanta for the most part, and uh, seem to be mostly CNN. But I'll never forget when Trump was running and the whole grab him by the P thing came out and it was on the screen, you know, and I'm looking around at all these kids, you know, I was like, the president really that okay. <laughs> that, that, that was a joke I was working on for a while. When he was asked, someone asked him, uh, what's your favorite? He goes, I, I love the Bible. It's my favorite book. <laughs> <laughs> and they go, well, what's your favorite, you know, verse? He goes, honestly, I don't want to put any of the rest of them down by picking one. He's like, I just really can't. They're all great. New and old. I like, you know, and it's just like, and I was thinking how funny would it be? Like, that's how a kid does a book report now. Cause he's like, well, I saw the president do it. It's like, oh, what character in Lord of the Flies? He's like, really? Honestly, I don't want to hurt any of them. I liked all of them. I thought they were all. The New you York know, Times, the Times has a great podcast called The Daily which is pretty much just, you know, it just gives you the, the there, there's a couple of great, like NPR has got a phenomenal suite of podcasts as well. So that's where I tend to, to gravitate, to be honest. Is yeah. NPR seems public to be radio is just the best. Unbiased. You were, you were talking about uh, shows that have different points of view on, on both sides of things. And that's, you know, we've mentioned how we're working on this campaign to end qualified immunity, uh, which is this legal doctrine that can shield police 
from uh, brutality and whatever. And one of the really interesting things about that issue is that there are people on all sides of ideological thinking that support ending qualified immunity. We're, we're working with the Cato Institute and the Institute for Justice, which are libertarian groups. We're working with the ACLU and the NAACP Legal Defense Fund. Uh, at the Supreme Court, Clarence Thomas and Sonia Sotomayor both oppose it. So it's one of these really interesting issues where people who don't normally come together can agree on it. And primarily the people who are opposed are, as you mentioned earlier, the police unions. Uh, but there's a, a broad swath of support for ending qualified immunity among all sorts of different ways of thinking. Yeah, including police officers and uh, police commanders. And uh, yeah, they, they understand that the, the idea is absurd, that it's impossible for police to do their job well, because in order to do their job well, they need trust from the community and and uh, you know and the police are always talking oh, oh we want trust <laughs> but there's no trust without accountability so on the one hand they're saying we're above the law uh we make our own laws we do whatever we want and you can't touch us and trust us trust me uh it's it's really horrible i mean you know, some of these police contracts, they give the, you know, if there's a policeman who's, uh, you know, accused of, of doing something they shouldn't be doing, the guy gets uh, like between two weeks and 30 days to make up a story before they can even interview him about it. I mean... I just watched uh, When They See Us, which is a docudrama about uh, the Central Park Five. These are these 14-year-old black boys that were accused, convicted of uh, raping this woman jogger. And they were questioned immediately for 48 hours straight no food, no bathroom, Blake, no sleep. And uh, and cops are supposed to get uh, a two week cooling off period uh, before you can ask him about what they did. And, it's, and an attorney provided well, you know, for them. Just getting back to these different groups we're working with, uh, you know, Ben and I, I think, are usually what portrayed as as somewhat on the progressive end and it's it, it's very unusual for us to be speaking with folks from the cato institute or from different libertarian groups and it was it was a great experience for us i think i think for both sides first of all you know we got on these zoom calls and i think we were all thinking how interesting is, is this, that we're talking to folks that we almost never talk to or we sort of dismiss out of hand whatever their thinking is without even considering it. And, you know, it, it's great to be bringing together 
the Leadership Conference on Human Rights and Civil Rights, along with Americans for Prosperity. Uh, it, it, it's just so fascinating that people who look at issues from different sides can come together on something like ending qualified immunity, which is it's just so outrageous. Well, it's it's an affront to any basic concept of justice. Uh, so, yeah, people from all political persuasions can relate to that. I mean, what can I can I tell you a little about how this qualified immunity evolved? Please. Uh, it's it's kind of a perverse irony. Uh, after the Civil War, uh, there was a problem that a lot of members of the police departments were members of the Ku Klux Klan. So they were abusing and discriminating against black people. So Congress passed this law called the Civil Rights Act of 1871 that said, uh, any citizen uh, can sue any public employee if they deny them their constitutional or civil rights. And that law came to be called colloquially the Ku Klux Klan Act. And that was the law of the land. And then starting in the 60s, the Supreme Court started uh, eviscerating that law and somehow this law that was designed to hold police accountable became a get out of jail free card. And the way the law is, the way the Supreme Court has now interpreted the law is that you cannot sue a police officer. You can't even get the case to court unless in the past, there was another police officer in the same jurisdiction in exactly the same situation who has been convicted and it's been sustained all the way up through the appeals process. And, you know, the reality is there's never exactly the same situation. So all these cases keep on getting thrown out. I mean, it's so bad that yeah, there was a cop convicted for sicking his attack dog on someone who surrendered by lying down. And then a few years later, another cop sicked their attack dog on a guy who surrendered by kneeling on the ground with his hands up. And the judge said he threw the case out. He said it wasn't similar enough. Oh, my God. That cop gets qualified immunity. <clears throat> Jeez. How do you, this is America. This is not <laughs> this is not what we want our country to be. No. So um, we, we became aware of the issue. There, there was a bill in Congress in last session that was a, a bipartisan bill from Ayanna Presley and Justin Amash to end qualified immunity. And we became aware of it because there was a letter published by a group called the Players Coalition. That's a group of uh, professional athletes. So their open letter to Congress came out in support of this bill that was signed by over 1,400 
professional athletes and front office people. And some of them who you would just never think of them as signing a letter like this. Tom Brady signed the letter, Drew Brees. So it was, it was once again, all over the thought. And, and so we thought, well, we'd like to support this. We came out with a similar letter to be signed by business leaders. And uh, we've since then been working with uh, lawyers, musicians, performing artists, as well as this coalition of advocacy groups. And what we're trying to do is lift up the voices of people who have experienced injustices from this and, and to try to get Congress to take this up. And uh, we, we kicked off the campaign uh, with a press conference. We have a website up, uh, campaign to end qualifiedimmunity.org. And uh, uh, whether people like it or not, I'm afraid they're going to be hearing from Ben and me about this for a while. It's a hard thing, man. Taking on police unions is no joke. But people forget that, uh, you know, if you visit other countries or live in another country, you're aware of not just the amount of black people and poor people that get, but there's a lot of white people that get killed by the police that do not get killed in these other countries, you know, our capitalist allies. And so you can find some bipartisan support for things like that because, Hey man, <laughs> why is that? Why are police killing all our people and not all these other people? You know, and I kind of went through that down here in Florida. I live in Florida, in South Florida, and we had these votes. And I was really surprised that a few of them, a few of these things passed. You know, we had got medical marijuana, but I really didn't think like giving freed prisoners their right to vote back. I didn't think that was going to pass in red Florida, but it did. And I didn't think a minimum wage in red Florida was going to pass, but it did. So I was like, there's, you know, I've been saying for a long time, there's got to be more than just weed that we can agree on. you know. And yeah, it turns out there yeah. is. It's great. Ben and Jerry's was involved in that campaign, the Florida restoration rights coalition to give voting rights uh, to returning citizens, people who are out of prison. And uh, the, the groups who were running that were amazing. You know, it's, this is one of these things where Ben and Jerry's essentially plugs in to the uh, nonprofit groups on the ground who are actually doing the work. And the company tries to use its communications abilities plus ice cream to, to raise up the issue. Uh, and it, it was an amazing thing. It was a great victory. Well, I think with the opioid crisis, it's not just like a black issue anymore. And now it's just poor. Everybody, whoever is poor, rich versus can, poor. Yeah, can relate to losing your vote over a nonviolent drug offense. You know, like, come on, we got to get, we got to get rid of that stuff. And I, one of the things I've, I'm trying to figure out what I could do to like get more involved. But I, I feel like uh, down here, <clears throat> uh, weed businesses were considered essential businesses. Now I've always thought that. <laughs> <you know? laughs> 
<laughs> I'd always rather smoke weed than be addicted to some pills that you know the doctor is. It's like, uh, but um, I'm like, how did the how do these people feel that are still in prison over these nonviolent drug offenses? You know, how do they feel seeing it being deemed an essential business? Now they'll deliver it to me if I want, right? Mm-hmm. Like it just it blows my mind, you know. And I I feel like that's one of those things I've I would like to find a way to try to change that too. Maybe I get you guys to help it with some ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, there's this uh, great campaign, a, a, an amazing organization that's doing great work called the Last Prisoner Project, and right their there. goal is to get every last prisoner. Who, who's in jail for cannabis to be freed. And, uh, you know, and, and it's happening. Uh, it's happening yeah. in some states. Uh, I know Colorado has passed a law. I think, I, think, I think it's part of New Jersey's legislation. A lot of the states that are newly becoming legal are, are including uh, expungement, and and in some cases decarceration uh as part of that it's amazing you know it's a great organization when you go back to 1978 and you guys are setting up shop in a abandoned gas station in burlington was this level of social consciousness uh with you guys from before those days did it grow as business grew did it come along as like a you know, we want to practice ethics with our business or was this something that's always been near and dear to your heart? Uh, you know, Jerry and I always said, you know, we want to be a community-based ice cream shop. And we didn't really know what that meant. And, you know, we mostly uh, tried to support various nonprofits, donate money to them or gift certificates or ice cream and uh, you know, I don't think we really started engaging in uh, political or social advocacy until Ben and Jerry's got a little larger, you know, maybe in uh, the mid 80s. Uh, you know, when media started wanting to talk to us and people were inviting us to, to speak at uh, colleges and universities and business groups. And, you know, we figured, well, if they want to talk to us, we're going to use this platform to um, advocate for justice. And we've been uh, doing it ever since. You know, I, I think, uh, O'Teal, very early on, you started talking about uh, the power of corporations and how involved they are in Oh, political life. And I think that's one thing that we became aware of as the business started to grow. Uh, Because, you know, initially we were this very small homemade ice cream shop and it would be a stretch even to call it a business. But but as the business did grow and prosper, we we started to see uh, the role that businesses play in communities and in society. And, you know, as Ben has been saying for years, business is really the most powerful force in society. Uh, And 
Yeah. It's a relatively new phenomenon. It, it used to originally be religion, then it was governments, and, and now it's business. And, uh, you know, a lot of the influence that business has is through its money and and also it is covert it is not out in the open and when you think of all the lobbying to not raise the minimum wage that's coming from business when you look at all the lobbying to uh, eliminate environmental regulation that's all coming from businesses so businesses generally are very politically involved and they're involved for their own financial self-interest. They're just advocating for things that will make them more money. And I think at Ben and Jerry's, we saw an opportunity to be advocating and working for things that were in the common interest for the common good. Yeah, one of the things that drives me crazy is, you know, business interests always being equated with American interests. <laughs> so it's like, oh, it, it was for American interests that we sent all our jobs to China. You know, so don't complain because you got cheap this and cheap that. I'm like, that's not. But if you don't have a job, man, or you a job that pays a living wage, like that's not in our interest. That's in your interest. But that's a, a switch that they always do. It's like, it's American interest, really? Right. Like, and you guys show the exact opposite of that, where it's like a, a business that still ha somehow sees itself operating from the ground up, from grassroots up, yeah. you know, and like how you've maintained that. I guess I shouldn't be surprised, you know, but... <laughs> It's always it's just, you're almost like brainwashed to believe that it's not possible. Yeah. Or who or who do, who actually does it? Yeah. Well, I think uh, I mean I don't I can't speak for Ben, but I'm very pleasantly surprised that Ben and Jerry's is is still uh, an activist company for social justice. Uh, you know, Ben and I have not been running the company for many, many years, and the company uh, was sold about 20 years ago. And the fact that uh, the company in 2016 publicly supported Black Lives Matter, and after the George Floyd murder, the company came out with a statement that started off with, we must dismantle white supremacy. Uh, I mean, it's, it's amazing to me, and I'm gonna include Ben also, that, that Ben and Jerry's is still doing that, that we're not the ones doing that, but those values have become uh, just right in the DNA of Ben and Jerry's, and it's fantastic. Is that something that you guys wanted to do or was it something that you were not able to control it being sold off or? Yeah, we, we resisted, uh, you know, we, we fought against the sale, but, uh, you know, it was a publicly held company and, uh, we, we weren't able to keep it from, from being sold. But, um, you know, this idea of, getting the values into the DNA, that, that was a deliberate effort. 
by uh, Jerry and myself and some others to to try to make it so that it, it just wasn't based on Jerry and myself, but it was based on the company embracing these values. That's and, amazing yeah. that it stuck. Yeah, I'm I'm shocked. <laughs> so, so it's amazing that it's stuck. It's amazing that the company comes out with such bold and forthright positions. Yeah. Not everybody in the public agrees with it. The company gets a bunch of pushback, and yet the company continues to thrive and sell more ice cream. The bolder it is, uh, the better it does. And you may not be able to say it's directly related to it, but you can absolutely say that the company taking strong and controversial positions does not hurt it one bit. Well, you just turned around my whole week and a half, man, because uh, <laughs> it can be done. That's really amazing. I just think they need cones of time um, <laughs> on the uh, menu, and that'll really uh, well, dot that we'll eye. If we get big enough and bold enough in our strong positions, maybe Maple chunks of caramel and cocoa with some, I've already thought about it, guys. Um, when we get crucified like Colin Kaepernick. Oh, jeez. Um, you know, I have, I'm in the midst of coming up with uh, a flavor under the Ben's Best label. This is not a Ben and Jerry's product, but, uh, you know, we came up with a, with a Bernie ice cream called Bernie's Yearning. And at the moment, I'm in the process of coming up with one for Nina Turner, who's oh. running for House of Representatives. No kidding. Uh, in That's Ohio. So uh, I'm, I'm very psyched about that. Uh, Bernie's flavor. God, <laughs> that's so fantastic. I would love, I can't wait to try that. Nina, you know, I, Nina's one of my biggest <laughs> heroes, man. Hello, somebody. I, I'm a Patreon yep. um, supporter <clears throat> of hers. And uh, I actually haven't sent any money to her yet, but I'm still, I still have a large gaping wound for what they did ah. to Bernie in the primary that yep. keeps oozing every once in a while. I can tell that heals all the way up. I swear hey, it almost uh, made me just I, I hate to break in, but uh I have to be on uh, another yeah. call at two. Oh. Uh, yeah, we'll let you go. So we'll I'm, go. I'm jumping off and appreciating you guys. Thank you so Come much. Bless you guys yeah. for being Great, with thank us you. so much. This was great. Yeah, it was really an honor. Bye. Thank you. Bye bye. Guys, have bye. a good one. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett. 
Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 